Let us read our scripture reading this morning from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19. Hear these words. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Pray with me once again. Heavenly Father, Lord, be with the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, you have promised that your word will not return void. It won't come back empty. Your word is what makes our hearts alive this morning. Lord, it's not my voice. Lord, it's not any well-constructed arguments that I've come up with this morning. But it's your word that will do great things here this morning. And we pray for that. We pray for your power through the preaching of your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Well, welcome once again, one and all, to Peace Presbyterian Church. It's uh, wonderful to see all of your smiling faces here. This is really, it's perfect Easter weather, right? I love, right, right when spring begins to turn, the trees are budding. It's not too warm, but it's just warm enough to go outside, maybe without a coat on, and you're just fine going to church in, you know, your Easter suit or your Easter dress or what have you. It's a beautiful morning that reminds us of the resurrection, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I've only been here for a few months, uh, so I am, I'm Pastor Andrew, so maybe if you came last Easter but not this Easter, you know, you would have seen an older, taller version of myself, uh, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not him. I am much younger and much better looking, if I may say so. Don't, don't tell him I said that. I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm the new pastor, so it's, uh, it's a pleasure to see you all this morning, and again, if you want to meet with me, I'm more than happy to sit down with you over a cup of coffee or in my office or whatever it is and get to know you uh, and talk to you this morning. We are here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. And by that, I want to I clarify my terms a little bit. There's some things that I don't mean when I say the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't mean that when Christ is alive, that his body is in the grave, but his spirit's alive and in heaven. It's not what I mean. 
When I say Christ is resurrected from the dead, I do not mean that, you know, he's dead, but he inspired a movement of love, you know, throughout the ages. And, you know, when we confess Jesus, that's, you know, he's kind of alive on our lips and in our hearts. That's not what I mean. When I say that Jesus is alive, I don't even mean, right, like the stories in the Bible of of Lazarus and other people who were revived from the dead. They were brought back to life either miraculously or maybe, you know, looked like they were dead and they came back to life, but then they died a few years later. I I don't mean that either. I mean that Christ rose from the dead literally and bodily. His body, this thing, was deadened in the ground and now it's alive and it's still alive because it's been transformed and glorified. I mean that Jesus Christ is alive in body and soul today. And as we, as we go through this morning, as I, as I preach this morning, this message is going to really be divided into two parts. And I want us to, if we can, put our thinking caps on. Spend a little time reasoning together. Because if Christ is actually alive, if it's more than a story, if it's more than a metaphor, if it's more than just inspiration from us, for us, if he's truly alive then that changes everything. So I want to spend some time talking through reasons why I believe, why I'm convinced that Jesus Christ is truly alive. Then I want to spend some time looking at the implications for that. What does that mean for us in our daily lives? I have a few objections for why some people may say that Jesus Christ really isn't alive. First objection, the Bible's just one book, right? Shouldn't there be other evidence Right? When, you're, when you're in school and you're being taught to decide between claims of truth and, and falsehood, you, know, you need more than one person saying something's true, right? So if the Bible is all that says something, we should have some other kind of corroborating evidence. Well, the answer to that is that the Bible is more than one story. The Bible is many different stories, many different accounts that were gathered together and compiled in one book. We have multiple people saying the same thing. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Paul wrote letters talking about how they had seen Jesus Christ come back from the dead. More than that, they provided footnotes. Right? If you're trying to determine whether a source is valid or not, like if you go online and you see something on Facebook and you click on a link, and if there's not any sources on there, if it's just right, some blog post that a guy wrote, that's not really reason to believe anything, right? But if they link to a paper that references all kinds of other people, it's got footnotes, they check their work, they say, if you don't believe me, go check our sources. The Bible has those footnotes. Paul wrote this in his letter to the Corinthians, just a few verses earlier than what we read. Verse number 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter, and then the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. This is Paul saying, hey, you don't believe me? Go check my work. Here are the people who have seen him alive. 
And in that day, if you wanted to, you could go interview these people. You could say, is Paul making this up, or did you really see Jesus come back from the dead? So we have gathered into one book, yes. We have multiple accounts, multiple stories of people who said, I saw this man come back from the dead. It's not just one story. We have all of these accounts that we have to reckon with and that we have to make sense of. Objection number two. Maybe the apostles were hallucinating. Right? So, okay, maybe, maybe all of these people said, yes, you know, we saw Jesus. But maybe... Right? They, they got together, and they were smoking some really good hash or something, and they saw, they're like, oh, we see this man coming back from the dead. We all see the same thing. Is that possible? Maybe. But all, everyone having the same hallucination, everyone seeing the same vision, is that really likely? Maybe. But probably not. Second answer why didn't the local authorities just produce Jesus' body? Right? If there is this movement of people who all said, hey, we saw this man alive, and they start to stir it up, and they start to cause trouble with all these local authorities, why didn't the local authorities just go to the grave, pull out his body, and say, he's not actually alive, guys. Here's his body. The easy answer to that is because the tomb was actually empty. We have multiple accounts of people who saw Jesus Christ come back from the dead. Maybe they were hallucinating, but probably not. Because the grave was at least empty. Objection number three. The apostles were lying and carrying out a hoax. Is that a possibility? Sure, it's a possibility. There's a couple answers to this. First off, the story of the resurrection, as it is told, isn't a story you'd make up. See, back in that day, women, and apologies to all the women in here, I'm glad times have changed, but they had a much more patriarchal society than we do now. If you were trying to convince people of something, women weren't even allowed to give legal testimony in court. You say, that's messed up. I agree, that's messed up. But that was the reality of the situation. But if you were trying to convince people of a story that was true, why would you say that women were the first ones to find Jesus? That doesn't really make sense. You know, maybe, it's, maybe it was still a hoax, but why make up a hoax like that? Second, right, back in, back in that worldview, they had a worldview where they thought that things in the natural world, they thought that bodies were evil naturally, and the goal was to escape your body, not to be able to come back into it. So if they were just making this up, right, that's, that's not a story that would convince people. Right? The people of that day would say, why, why is this man coming back into his body? He's, he's made it. He's escaped from his body. It's not a story you'd make up. Third, we have this idea nowadays, sometimes I think, right, that we are the modern, educated, you know, we are the intelligent ones. Back then, they were just the ancients who would believe everything. They were a bunch of rubes who would follow any kind of any kind of story that was laid down in front of them. But the reality is that they had seen just as much death as we have. They had experienced grandparents, parents, loved ones pass away, but they never saw anyone come back from the dead. 
It was just as incredulous for them as it was for us. So if you're going to make up a story, why make up that one? But beyond all those things, there's the one proof that I just can't get past. Why would the apostles give their lives for a hoax? Right? I, could, I could buy the story that, you know, maybe the disciples hid the body of Jesus and they all got together and said, hey, you know, we're, we're all going to say that Jesus Christ is alive because we're going to try to have all this influence over all these people. We're going to try to lead them astray. You know, we're going to do all of these things in order to get some power and influence and authority. What doesn't make sense is as soon as they started to run up against the local government, as soon as they started to be a threat to the status quo, they were threatened with the sword. It's one thing to claim something that's not true when you're leading a crowd of people, thousands of people, convincing them. It's another thing to maintain it's true with a sword to your neck. Saying, forsake this. Admit you just made it up. That's all you got to do. And to say, no. It's true. There's a quote that I ran across this past week. Uh, it's by Charles Colson. For those of you who don't know, he was uh, one of Nixon's. He was involved in Watergate. He was a lawyer for Nixon. Spent time in jail. Now he is a, he's a leading voice for Christianity. He said this. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Now, I'll admit to you, none of this absolutely conclusively proves that Jesus is alive. We can't prove that scientifically. We just, we can't. But I believe out of the evidence we have, it makes so much more sense to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that he's still in his grave. Why am, I, why am I saying all these things? Why go through all of these objections that you hear? Because Jesus is alive, or he isn't. Simple enough, right? Either the resurrection is true, or it's not. And I would argue that everything in our lives comes down to whether or not that is true. You see, we live in a fallen, broken world. The text that we read earlier, Paul wrote about the resurrection. He was saying, in Adam, right, in our ancestor Adam, everyone dies. What he means by that is that at the beginning of creation, God made two people, Adam and Eve. He made them sinless. But they rebelled against God they ate the forbidden fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. They said, we're going to find out the things of God in our own ways. We want to be like the gods. And because of that, because of their sin, this world was cursed. Death 
passed on all men. Sin passed on all men. So because of that, we live in a world full of sickness, full of death, full of sin. That's the world we live in. Whether or not we like to think of ourselves as good people, we know that at the very core of ourselves, there's something that's always going to turn inward. It's always going to be selfish. At the end of the day, we're always going to choose ourselves over someone else. We live in a world where we lose loved ones, the cancer, the heart disease. We never see them again. We live in a world full of violence, where 200 Sri Lankan Christians can go to church on Easter morning and not come home because they were killed. This is the world that we live in. And we've been trying for millennia to fix it ourselves. Right? We try to be better people. We try to teach things through philosophy. We try to just say, oh, just, you know, just be kind to each other. Right? We have you know, Elmo telling kids on Sesame Street how to be nice to people, and he's been doing that for years, and people are still sinful. We need more than what we've already tried. We need outside influence and outside help. And if Christ really came to this world, lived a perfect life, died a death that he did not deserve to die, and rose again from the dead, if that really happened, then we can have hope that all of this, that the sin that we have and struggle with, that the death and destruction of the world that we live in, we can have hope that all of that will be changed. We look forward to the day when everything is made right. That's why we pray every single Sunday in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we look around at this earth and we see that God's will is not being done. We see that hate prevails. We see that sin prevails. We see that selfishness prevails. And we look forward to the day that heaven comes down and God fixes this world because we can't do it on our own. What the resurrection is, is the future reaching back into the past as a down payment of what's to come. When I was a little kid growing up, we had, we had an ice cream truck, right? I lived in, I lived in the neighborhood, and every, during the summer, you would hear the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and the ice cream truck would drive by, right? And you wouldn't be able to see the ice cream truck at first, right? You would just hear it be tantalizing, right? From blocks away, it would just kind of waft over the sidewalks and over the houses. And finally, you would see it come around the corner. Finally, you could get some ice cream. Not to demean the resurrection, but the resurrection is a little bit like that. That foretaste. You hear it coming, but it's not here yet. We live in the in-between time. The resurrection is proof. God's stamp on this world that I have not abandoned it. I am coming back. I am coming back to fix all things. We can see it coming, and we know it's coming. And we look forward to the day when Christ comes back and finally gets rid of our sin, finally gets rid of the death, and selfishness 
in the world around us. We look forward to that day. But, what if it's not true? What if it's not true? What if Jesus' body is lying, buried under a bunch of Israeli dirt, never to be discovered, long since wasted away, it's a skeleton eaten by worms, bugs, whittled down to nothing that'll never be discovered. What if he's not alive? Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15 in the text that we read today. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. There was, a, there was an op-ed in the New York Times this past week that argued by someone who would call themselves a Christian. I would cast doubt on that. They call themselves a Christian, and they say, you know what, we don't need the resurrection in order to love people. We don't need the resurrection in order to be good people. And that was, that was the thrust of their argument. But Paul disagrees. He says, if we have hope only in this life, right, if all the story of Jesus is, if all it is is just an inspiration to us to love our neighbor, to be good people, and then we die, and then that's it. This world never gets fixed. Nothing ever really changes. If all Christ is is an inspiration to us, then we are of all men most miserable. If Christ isn't alive, we are wasting our time here this morning. We might as well leave, go down, get a good lunch spot before the crowds come. You know, it's a nice day for a baseball game. Just go down to Comerica and, you know, get good parking and get a good seat. We might as well do that. Because none of this would matter. Yeah, we can be good people. But if Christ never actually came back from the dead, what's the point? We're just going to die Everyone else is going to die, and there's no restoration of anything. So it doesn't matter. Everything hinges on whether Christ is alive or dead. So I ask you this morning do you believe it? Do you believe that Christ has come back from the dead? This is not a question that's just merely academic, that's up there that we have to think about when we go to church on Sunday mornings. This is a question that affects our entire lives. Because if he's dead, what are we doing? I'm wasting my life. If he's alive, he is worth following with everything that we have. With everything that we have. Paul says that our faith is vain if Christ isn't alive. Our faith is useless. But what is faith? Faith is being convinced of something. Right? It's, not just, it's not just a head knowledge, but it's a knowledge that settles in your heart so that all of your actions proceed because of the truth of that statement. So if Christ is alive, then you follow him. That's what 
That's what the logical implication is. If Christ is alive, then we will devote our lives to the future that is coming, the future that will be restored. So the question that I want us to all leave with, yes, is Christ alive? Is he not? But do you, do you trust him for your salvation? I'm not, I'm not asking if you've prayed a prayer, you know, way back in, you know, when you were a little kid, you, you prayed a prayer and sent some words. I'm not asking if you call yourself a Christian. I'm not asking if you attend church on Easter Sunday. I'm not asking any of those things. Do you repent of your sins? Do you trust Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? Because in Christ alone is our only hope. If we are going to have any hope of redemption from sin, any hope to one day come back from the dead and see our loved ones again, any hope at all, we will trust and follow the one who has gone before us, the one who is alive, the one who will come back from the dead, excuse me, the one who will come back once again to raise his followers from the dead and restore all things. We're about to pray. We're about to sing a song. And we're about to be dismissed. If you... If you're in these pews and you want to talk about that, if you don't know whether or not you're in Christ, if you think that you may still be in your sins, I want you to come talk to me afterwards. I have, I have plans this afternoon with my in-laws, but don't tell them. They're my in-laws. I can be late to them. It's totally okay. I'm happy to stay after and talk about your soul with you. I would love to do that. Flag me down, slip me a note, whatever you want to do, let's talk. Because Christ is alive, and that changes everything, and he is worth following. Pray with me once again. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you that Christ is alive. We praise you that you have not abandoned us to die in our sins. We praise you that we can have eternal life if we follow you. Lord, be with those who are gathered here this morning. May we be convinced that Christ is alive. And may that fact transform us. May we trust Christ for our salvation. May we repent of our sins. And may we live entirely different because Christ is alive. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.